CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Chris Nee. That wasn't a lot of fun, man. No, it's funny. We're 40 hours removed now from the game ending, and I'm still as frustrated as I was watching it in real time. I've rewatched it one time straight through. I did that the night after uh, of the game because um, I was flying out so early. I didn't want Sunday to get away from me. And then, you know, yesterday, conversation threads with yourself and others quick clip art and some other discussion feel like I've watched it, you know, about half the time again, especially some of the bad plays. And there were plenty of those. No, it was insanely frustrating. Not a very good performance in any phase of the game. Truthfully, a pretty bad performance in most phases of the game against what I considered a pretty bad opponent, a capable athletic quarterback, decent thrower, but that team doesn't have a whole lot of offensive skill. Their offensive line isn't overly impressive, especially in person, especially after what their left tackle got hurt relatively early and missed a hell of a lot of snaps. And defensively, they didn't do anything that was really impressive to me. But yet somehow we found ourselves sweating bullets with, you know, a minute and a half, two minutes left in that game. Florida State one one wins 31 to 29 over Boston College. Weird things happen at BC. The question becomes... Is this a weird thing that is indicative of things to come, or do you figure it out much like the 2013 team did? Um, you know, that, that's what we're going to get to and kind of parse out today. We're going to talk about trends, I think, what concerned us, what can be fixed, what's starting to develop uh, into a trend. That's going to be the talking point. Before we get any further into it, a shout out to our sponsors that make episodes like this one possible, that make it to where Chris and I are willing to get up at, at 7.30 a.m. on a Monday after traveling and stuff. And Give you guys the content that I think you want to hear. So let's start off with Chattanooga Whiskey. Need a lot of Chattanooga Whiskey after this weekend. They're crushing it in the craft distillery game. Uh, They do an exceptional job at just about every level of creating craft whiskey. Entry-level bourbon, really good. They're 111 full proof. Awesome. Go ahead and look for that. That is a great value. Their rye, I'm not a big rye guy. I like their rye a lot, man. It's really good. Uh, What's coming out pretty soon for them is their semi-annual bottled and bond they release it twice a year look for it in a blue label uh, it's basically four years old 100 proof a few other things that are going to make it uh, bottled and bond uh, distinguished one of their best bottles that they do and like the the bourbon heads like myself the bourbon 
the bourbon boys, my bourbon buddies, like we all know, like that's one of the bottles to look for each year because it's such an exceptional value. So Chattanooga whiskey, appreciate them being our sponsor. And uh, they do have an amazing product on the bench is also brought to you by football coach college dynasty with a 95% positive rating on steam football coach college dynasty is the ultimate college football management game for PC. Be a coach and create game plans, call plays, recruit players, develop your team and compete for national championships. Featuring everything you love about college football, including conference realignment, school boosters, official visits for recruits, the transfer portal, and even NIL. College football, college coach, college, oh my God. Football coach, college dynasty is available now on Steam for $11.99. Chris, can you tell I'm sleep deprived? <laughs> no, it's just, I struggle with the title remembering it. I had Dane chime in with every time we were doing it last time. I finally remembered it. Uh, one thing to mention, they are doing constant updates to the game. I think I saw that the other day. I think I actually retweeted their account that they had just finished an update. So a lot of people really like it. Seemingly I have not dived in because well, father with two kids and a football team to cover. So I don't really have the time kids. Sorry. Wish I did. It is, but, it, uh, is it is a lot of fun. If you're a football fan, a college football fan, uh, I took over UCF and I got them to the national championship in the first year. I went on to feed Chris and I lost in the national championship game. It's a bit of a toughie emotionally for the time I invested in that. But, did you still claim it though? The Turner Group sponsors our Buyers and Own segment. Colin, Amy Turner, Becky, whoever else is there too, they all do a great job at a boutique agency, finishing deals, making deals happen. Uh, and it's not a high-pressure outfit. Uh, wink, wink, Miami. Um, it is It is done in a job that is uh, remarkably efficient, effective. Uh, it's not fun to necessarily go on the housing market, buying or selling, uh, and, and the Turner Group makes it. A fairly like reasonable and, and enjoyable endeavor as much as possible. So Colin Turner of the Turner group, reach out to him, let him know we sent you. If you're even thinking about exploring the housing market and he can kind of point you in the right direction. Also the battles end. If you like good rosters, sign up with TBE. Uh, we'll, we'll go over our battles end player of the week a little bit later on. So Chris. Hold on. I want to steal your moment. I want you to describe what frustrated you the most in one word. Energy. Why? It wasn't there. Um, it wasn't there. It was, it felt like they were sleepwalking through the first half. They got a little bit of juice and momentum to start off the third quarter. You're like, okay, at least they're putting it together. And then they just, they got really tight. They got very conservative. They didn't have any sense of like what I thought was a real identity and what they're doing on either side of the ball. They didn't have bread and butter stuff working. Um, and, and they just felt like a sleepwalk kind of game. So to me, energy was, was lacking from pretty much start to finish. I know something going around the team. I can't talk about like, I can't rightfully like say like, this is the extent of they were dealing with, but I was told like a lot of players were, were not feeling great. And that's, Mike Norvell said that's life, right? Like there's times you're not going to be a hundred percent and you just got to kind of push through it. And um, yeah, I think what's so frustrating about Saturday, Chris, is it, it just, it was unnecessary. Like it just didn't yeah. have to happen to that extent. And it wasn't a good table setter for what's coming next week, which is Clemson here in six days. You, you didn't get to empty your bench. You had guys playing way too many snaps that don't need to be playing that many snaps. You were without Byron Turner Jr. You were without Hakeem Den. That 69 took snaps positions. for Jared Verse, man. That's that's a ton yeah, for you, you Two positions where you don't have the best depth on this football team. On a football team that does have a lot of good depth, 
you got pushed into situations where you had to lean on your good guys and you couldn't play them. You brought Jaden Jones, you brought Dante Anderson on a trip, but you didn't trust them because you weren't in a position to trust them if they were to make a mistake, which is normal for guys who are inexperienced as they are. Therefore, you had to play to Jared Burrs as a world of great deal. Patrick Pate, who did not play very well, played a lot. Gilbert Edmond was the only really DN that I saw get a decent amount of snaps from a reserve standpoint at the end standpoint. At safety, Kevin Knowles replaces an injured Akeem Dent. We saw Dent get injured in the Southern Miss game. Knowles did not play well. He got picked on multiple times for explosive plays in that game. But who are you going to turn to next? Do you feel comfortable? I certainly do. But do you feel comfortable going to Conrad Hussey, a freshman in the road environment, experiencing that stuff for the first time? Do you do it? They didn't do it. So it was kind of interesting to see some of that show up. As far as the one word thing, I was going to go effort. I feel like that's a lot like energy, so I'm not going to do that one. Another one for me would be toughness. I just don't think FSU was a particularly tough football team on Saturday. I don't think they were mentally tough, mentally focused. I don't think they were tough with regards to just being physically bringing it. I thought a BC offensive line, which is decent, good. I love Christian Mahogany, but other than that, nobody on that line's ultra impressive. I thought they kind of bullied FSU, to be perfectly honest. I thought FSU's defensive line had a bad day. Patrick Payton, Fabian Lovett, missed assignments galore for those two guys. Brandon Fisk was neutralized quite a bit. He did have a big stop. I believe it was alongside Tatum Bethune on the one-fourth down stop that FSU registered in the game. But I didn't think FSU was a tough football team. I didn't think offensively they were a tough football team. The perimeter blocking was not up to snuff. It was not what it should be. Uh, then when Keandre Jones came in, it seemed to inject a little energy in the running game, working to the right side with Rodney Hill. The running game was not tough. The blocking up front was not tough. If you're going to try to be a running team, you probably need to put Biscuit in there more and line up and run the ball with him as your sixth blocker up front. And they're not currently doing that. You know, split-wise with reps it's a lot of Morlock and a lot of Douglas kind of split in there and I I don't know if you shift that I think maybe you might have to to get that running game going because through three games the running game has had mixed results they did go for 300 plus against Southern Miss but overall there's never been a moment where you've watched the running game and just gone man that's bread and butter they're hitting it they can do it they can kind of line up and do that whenever they want to it hasn't been awful it hasn't been great I don't know if good's even the right word it definitely hasn't felt like it's hit its stride by any stretch of the imagination. Trey Benson, who I believe, I'm saying this based off of what I believe, I think he was one of the guys that probably didn't feel great last week. It seemed to play into his game. But truthfully, he hasn't had a good game in three games up to Trey Benson's standards. Right. You know, At some point, it has to come. For FSU to be the offensive juggernaut that they're capable of being, everything has to be good. The blocking up front has to be good. The perimeter blocking has to be good. The play calling and the decision making of that play calling in the passing game has to be better. The running game has to be there, though. The running game is what FSU bases everything they do offensively off of. So there are so many places for us to start, like getting. Uh, that was a good, I think, some a real good summary, Chris, of the things that aggravated us watching the first time. Um, I didn't necessarily feel much better watching it the second time. I thought maybe yeah. I would. It's funny that you go through the first half. And I'm watching different things, both on offense and defense. People want to point fingers. People are mad at Adam Fuller. I, I get it. Like the defense is underachieving for what it, it should be through three Yeah, games. the, the third and long explosive play allowed right in that game is just atrocious. You but can't I have, have that. that. Uh, it was six, six of, plays. Yeah. yeah. Six of BC's 12 explosive plays came on third and long. And I think eight of them came on third and second and long if you can combine the two. So. Yeah, that's not good. And that, that aggravates the living hell out of people. If they converted third and two or fourth and one, right. it sort of is they earned it. 
when they're converting third and 15s with, you know, gash runs where Patrick Payton swims outside and Omar ends up on his backside and on the wrong side of him, it leaves a huge hole. That's what aggravates people. When Fentrell Cypress's coverage doesn't last on a route down the field and a quarterback rolls to his right and shoots a rocket down that field, throw that truthfully I didn't think was really in his repertoire and nails it, that's frustrating. That are, that's why people exited that game pissed off, including it, myself. Like that, that, that stuff to me isn't uh... – Caveat, like it sucked. It was frustrating. I'm not. Some of it's coaching. Some of it's players. It's. I don't like putting. I I wrote after the game about how the defense was atrocious, and I think people thought it was solely me saying Adam Fuller was bad. And Adam Fuller could have coached a hell of a lot better game, but his defense was flat footed. Their effort wasn't good. Do I think Adam Fuller is telling them to be flat footed and not make effort? Heck no. So that that also falls on the players. Kevin Knowles didn't play well. Patrick Payton didn't play well. Fabian Lovett didn't have a particularly good day. Linebackers were out of position. BC picked on the linebackers. And let's give a little credit to BC. I don't think they're a good football team. But BC did a good job of disrupting FSU. They did some quick snaps, some slow snaps, some late substitution. They very much played with tempo and time. They kept the ball away from FSU for much of the first half. And it was all intentional. And FSU kind of allowed them to be the one who ran the game. And, well, FSU's out here trying to do certain things this season as a football team. It kind of they shouldn't be allowing a team like Boston College to dictate terms. That was a concerning part of it. But like like the third down, oh, there's so much to get to. All right, let's just go. All right, I'm gonna get control of this. Bullet points, buddy. Just do let's bullet go points. Bullet points. Let's go to the offense first. All right, because right. and we'll work our way to defense. And I think both my point being is I think both deserve equal blame. Like you talk about playing complementary football, and there was like the. Special the, teams got in on the fray too. Buddy. I was gonna say that was like that third. <laughs> that there was that stretch in the third quarter where you have a chance to really go ahead. The defense forces a three and out after having the interception that the offense capitalized on. That's that's with the DJ Lundy interception and touchdown. That's complimentary football. You have a chance to really go and like put this game away. The defense gets a three and out. You have a short field. The offense isn't able to do anything with it, uh, and then all of a sudden, like the things start shifting and BC is able to move the ball. And um, yeah, it just, it, it becomes problematic uh, for you and you're Oh, look who joined us finally. Hi, Zach. Hello. You're really crushing it on these Monday podcasts. I know it's great. What are your thoughts on the game? Not pretty. <laughs> That's not, not pretty, not pretty at all. If you oh. could describe FSU in one word, what word would you use? With regards to what you took away from the game, being disappointed in. Discombobulated. Ooh, I like that. Okay. We didn't use that one. He was energy, which I was going to use effort, but I feel like the two are the same. I used, uh, what did I go with? Oh, uh, not tough. Toughness. Toughness. Um, So we've already, we did, Zach, catching you up here. We've done an, uh, an overview of the game. Okay. We talked about just the generalities that we did not like. We're going to start to get into the weeds here offensively. Then we're going to go to defense. We're getting the special teams. Talking about them not doing complimentary football. We shout out the sponsors. I almost got the name every single time correctly on Football Coach College, honestly, but I fumbled in the middle of it. So, stand Yeah, but they're going to another shout out here. So, there you go. Um, so, I think offensively what stood out to me, like, yeah, Chris, you mentioned the run game. That wasn't as bad on review as I thought. Like, there's, I would like to see a distribution change up with Rodney Hill. Like, I would like to see him get more touches. I think good things happen when he touches the ball. He's a more natural runner. And you get Trey Benson going. Like, that's just that has to be a thing. He can't be a guy who, who isn't impactful. 
Lawrence told Philly having 30 snaps. I know he does gadgety stuff, but he has a value. Him having 30 snaps to Rodney Hill having nine. Like, I don't understand why Lawrence told Philly's getting the ball at the end of the game. Um, and that's Monday morning quarterbacking it, but it just it, it's something we've been. I feel like we had that exact same conversation two years ago. Yeah. This is, this is not a new thing. So that's why I feel like it's fair to bring up, but I think what really concerns me, fellas, and I want to get your thoughts here with the offense is that Jordan Travis doesn't look like Jordan Travis and he's not playing poorly, but he seems like when Mike Norvell talks about the team pressing, like, I feel like I see that with Jordan and I've seen it for a game and a half or so now. Do you agree with that, Zach? He doesn't look in, in control. Like, you know, Jordan Travis staple over the past couple of years is, you know, when he's when he's clicking, he looks like he's in control of the game. He can kind of dish it out where he wants, and um, you you always feel pretty confident that he's going to get it done. And and right now, I mean, he's just leaving it leaving it up to to fifty fifty odds too much, um, especially on on you know some some key situations like a you know, third and three towards the end of that game. Um, that was just a, a poor poor decision to throw that to Johnny Wilson when. Lawrence Toffoli probably had the first down. Yeah, I'm running right at the sticks. Yeah. So, and there was another play. Um, I saw it posted on Twitter and I saw it live. Jaheim Bell's, you know, running uh, right up the middle of the field and has no defenders. Uh, you know, he, he beats his guy, um, whoever is covering him towards the middle of the field and has no one in front of him um, and is wide open and probably would have been a super long game or a touchdown um, if that's thrown. And, he throws it elsewhere and it, and it doesn't get completed. So, yeah, I mean, we talked about it with the Southern Miss game. It felt like he felt more comfortable throwing it to Johnny Wilson or Keon Coleman for a 50-50 ball than making the easy completion to a Destin Hill who's streaking across the you know the field wide open for a first down. Um, I don't know why that's happening, but I do think it's pressing. Um I don't know if that's if it's the Heisman hype, if it's I don't whatever. I, I, um, I'd like to dismiss that narrative. That, like I don't think that I think we don't truly know. Like I think the offense has lacked a great deal of rhythm, to be perfectly honest, which is kind of nuts to say because they put up almost ten touchdowns against Southern Miss, but there hasn't been a whole lot of stretches of the three games where you felt like, man, they're clicking. Like things are happening. Yeah. Some of that's running game being not MIA, but certainly not hitting on all cylinders. Some of that's also FSU's a shot-based offense. They're always going to be a shot-based offense, especially with their current personnel and their quarterback is experienced, who's done a very good job valuing the ball to his credit. But like you also can set up shots with underneath stuff and check downs. I, I just think there's been at least a handful of opportunities, especially in the last two outings, where that's been there and it hasn't been taken. And you know, the Johnny Wilson outside one on, I believe that was a third down play, yeah. is a very good example of that. I mean, Toe Philly take was right there on the same side of the field, so you're looking to that direction anyways. And you went with a 50-50, and yeah, Johnny comes up with that catch a good amount of time, but he didn't in that instance. LT was wide it's open. Just, so, why, are you, why are you throwing such a low percentage throw yeah. compared to, to something that – that was you know, given pretty much to 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 a Philly there. I don't. I, mean, that, I, I have I have dug around like a little bit on it, and there's going to be like more layers to this that we have to scrape away. But like some of it is like they they are wanting to take deep shots. I think you're trying to build things like for later on in the season and trying to force defenses to to respect it and and look for it. So like that yeah. is kind of like you can't. I'm just I'm, ex- our, I'm just yeah. explaining. I'm literally just explaining what 
they're but kind that's, of but that's like a but to me like the the building is a, a first or second down call you can't you can't be throwing that on a third down and you know to to put the game away uh third down in the fourth quarter like that that's unacceptable to me that I probably goes say, back to what Chris is talking about with rhythm, I think. Yeah. And I think the only half of rhythm we've seen on the offense, the first team offense has been that, that second half against LSU. I mean, yeah. the Southern Miss, the first half, the first half, you know, they, they were just, they out-talented them. Um, they, they were, you know, they had to go to fourth down multiple times because in that first quarter and first half in general, because they couldn't um, get into a rhythm. You know, their, their base running plays weren't working super well. Um, and, you know, Jordan was making some of the same mistakes as he did against Boston College um, in that Southern Miss game. I commented to my wife last night while thinking about the game for the 87th time since it ended that watching two days of practice last week, and I think some of this was the concerns with Hurricane Lee, which ended up not having much of an impact at all in the game. There was a heck of a lot of short throwing in practice. Now, there was a normal amount of some shot plays, especially late in the Wednesday portion of practice. But in general, a lot of work to the middle of the field, shorter routes than we had seen throughout much of the preseason in preparation for the first two outings. Saturday rolled around and we didn't see that. I think some of that was concerns over wind and stuff, and those concerns weren't there. So I understand them going vertical. That's what the offense is supposed to be. But it just feels like the intermediate element of the passing game has kind of been Baron. It's been a lot of line yeah. of scrimmage throwing and a lot of vertical throwing, and not a whole lot of trying to, you know, mess with them in the middle. And I feel like some of the the target distribution, you know, displays that perfectly well, right? Like we're we're not seeing guys like Destin Hill and and Winston Wright and, um, you know, even Jaheim Bell. Like his, his touches are pretty limited. Um, I know he's had a few drops in the season, but um, there are times when Jaheim Bell is, is wide open and we see what he can do after the catch like that's a guy that should be getting the ball more um like brendan was talking about earlier i think i don't understand why rodney hill is not getting more touches it seems like every time he gets the ball it's close to a first down and if not you know he's he's, um you know moving his legs and getting six yards on a carry like that that's super important for them to get the running running game open um it doesn't look like trey benson's seeing things super well um and then Another guy I'd like to see to get the ball more is Kaziah Holmes. You know, before the he, season, he didn't, he didn't play yet on Saturday. Yeah, which I don't. Does that make sense to you guys? No, not not particularly. I yeah. think again, it was we had the conversation earlier about DN and safety depth, and them not really diving into it because of the game being tight. I think there's guys they trust and guys they're not yet ready to fully enthrall into that position. And I would say Kaziah kind of falls into that threshold. Here. Here's a chicken or egg type of stat for you guys to, to mull over here. This is through three games. Uh, Florida State last year, what would you say, like, if you think of the offense last season, one of the first things come to mind, explosive? Is that is that fair? Explosive yeah. with bread and butter running plays. With, with your Okay. So one of the things that I think made FSU so dynamic on offense last year was you, you had your base stuff, but then you were able to capitalize with explosive plays. And then that creates, you can go tempo, defense gets, gets scattered. You're able to build off of it and it becomes dictate this, terms. Uh, you dictate terms and you're able to, yeah, that's what you do. Last year, FSU was in the top five nationally in rushing yards of 10 plus yards and 20 plus yards. So good gains, explosive gains. Jordan Travis last year, was a top 25 quarterback with passer rating on throws of 20 plus yards downfield. So that again, that falls into like, 
explosive. You're able to put a lot of pressure on defenses with what you're able to do vertically, in addition to having an explosive run game. This year, let's see. Florida State, pulling a Bud Elliott, typing it. You guys know I'm doing research. 48th with explosive rushing plays, 20 of 20 plus yards, and on 10 plus yards, 39th. So you're not bad at it, but like you're not elite. That's not something that you've proven that you can be great at so far. And then as far as Jordan and his passer rating uh, on deep plays, he's like in the he's like in the 90s right now, as opposed to being the top 25. So like, I think we're talking about this team not having a full identity so far. Other than that second half against LSU, where you were able to lean on them with the run game and then hit your vertical shots, like it hasn't been there. Yeah, it hasn't. And I through three games, I'm not hitting the panic button on that. I still think the skill of the offense is very good and the capability of our offensive line is good enough. But at some point, it has to start gelling and showing itself through. I also think Jordan Travis is allowed to be more of a runner than he has been. And then we haven't even talked about, like, he left the game with a shoulder injury. Yeah. Yeah. His arm was in a sling. Yeah, his arm was in a sling. sling. Yeah, so, like – that is a thing. Like, we're going to have to ask Mike Norvell about that. The press conference today, is Jordan going to be available this week against Clemson? Like, I anticipate him to, but, like, you know, he, that arm was dangling. It didn't look like it felt particularly good. So, like, does that linger through the through the year? There's um, another know. talking point on the offense. Um, well, there are several. I mean, perimeter blocking I mentioned earlier was not good. Keon Coleman, again, he's had yeah. halves where he just did not look interested in doing it. Can, can we stop there real quick? Because yeah. that is that is a huge play in the game. Um, yeah, toe Philly fumble. Yeah, yeah. You're you're talking about FSU set up a really well designed running back screen out of a two running back set uh, out of the shotgun, and you've been running the ball very effectively out of that all game. You also set up a nice play with Lawrence so Philly coming out of the backfield earlier on in the game and late second half, I think, out of that. And you weren't able to hit on it because you got a little bit of pressure. But you had Toa Philly and Bell both one-on-one downfield with a with a step on defenders. So you were able to build things off of this. So this is a critical moment in the game where BC is starting to put a little bit of game pressure on Florida State. You get out of backed up into the you're backed up by your own end zone. You get out of it because Jordan Travis scrambles after a low snap. Uh and and he so you have some breathing room. They have this screen set up. Gene Bell, great block outside. The defense bites on a PA look, and you have Lawrence Tofilly in space. And Keon Coleman doesn't lay a hand on the defensive back field side of the play. Like, And that defensive back comes in and blows up Lawrence Tofilly. FSU talks about owning the ball and being very safe with the football. And in a very short span, you had the, the Lawrence Tofilly fumble that was returned for a touchdown. Before that, you had the Trey Benson not falling on the football uh, after a timeout after you put in the hands team and you knew they were going to do something of some sort. Why is Tate Roadmaker on the hands team? Oh. He's been on it. I think he was on it last year too. Like it's not a new development. I think we just talk about it because it didn't work out for them. Um, I think it's because, you know, usually you don't see, see the, the quarterback super well, but I mean, of all the, the, I understand it's a talking point for the fans. The list all is the, long, buddy. Get out of here. low, low, low. Because he's athletic and he has good hand-eye coordination. That's why. I know, but it's your backup quarterback or whatever. I mean, I don't know what you want me to tell you there. Um, 
But that play, I mean, that shifts the tone and the tenor of the game totally. And Keon Coleman was not great on some other perimeter stuff on the day. Uh, people were wondering why he didn't get more touches. I would counter to you, like, you got to deserve those. You got to earn those touches. Uh, they threw the ball to him twice on the opening drive, or on the, sorry, the second drive. Uh, and no, sorry, the opening drive. And he got grabbed on one, but like your six foot four receiver, two should have been a PI, uh, but fight through it and go after it with two hands. He gave it the old college try. He tried to one hand it. Um, and then he wasn't particularly explosive crossing the middle of the field. I don't know if he was someone who wasn't feeling particularly well. Uh, and then later on in the game, he had the end round on third and four, I think, and just kind of there's a lot of things I didn't care for well. about that play. But yeah, he just kind of yeah. ran out. He's surrendered. You're trying to get um, to the sticks, and he, yeah. So for a guy who distinguished himself so very well against LSU and then followed up with Southern Miss, like high expectations and kind of thinking you were talking about bread and butter and identity, that's supposed to be a focal point for you. Uh, he didn't do the little things well on Saturday. And so is that a, is that a trend? Is that just a, a, a one game you know, sample set that does kind of flip on the radar? I, I don't know. Um, but that is a thing that was upsetting if we're talking about the offense. What, one thing I'll throw to you guys the offensive line needs to they get to figure out, like, I, I know they flex the depth, and that's great to be able to have options. Who are your five? Like, who do you yeah. feel I good think, about yeah. moving forward this year? You, you need Mo back at center for faster snaps. Darius has done a fine job over two games, but Mo makes a difference with the snaps. Darius's blocking has been really good. I yeah. think it's more the, like, directing of the offense. It doesn't replace what you have with Mo. So, like, I'm a proponent of getting Darius on the field somewhere else at this point, like guard. Uh, he, well, he Casey Roddick didn't have a good Saturday. I mean, no, Casey Roddick looked being sluggish. straightforward on Keandre Jones is excellent in run blocking and eh, as a pass blocker. So yeah. it's, it's kind of a weird deal. Maybe you bring him in when you do want to run when you just it want feels to like you need Keandre Jones. It feels like you need Keandre Jones on the field to have a successful running game right now. Like they've done that twice this season. And, and after he comes in, it's, it's when they hit those, semi-explosive runs. It yeah, is, they had the Rodney Hill back-to-back to right side against uh, BC when Keandre came in. I'm I'm going to look up, see what Keandre's, uh, what the success rate with runs is when he's on the field. And even that right tackle, like Jeremiah Byers, tons of talent. Peaks and valleys, baby. The peaks and valleys are pretty extreme early on here. So, like, we're going across the board, and I just don't know what you could hang your hat. I think you know what you have with Bless Harris. He's very good in pass pro. Run blocking is going to be hit or miss, but at least you know that's what that is at this point. Just um, it's a toughie because because I think you're going to have the, your your um, most challenging week of the season uh, when it comes to opposing D line this upcoming week with Clemson. I mean they they've got those veteran guys, KJ Henry and and um, Tyler Davis, plus a, tr- a couple of true freshmen have been who've been impressing. So. I'm, trying, I'm still trying to see if I can find the counter Jones snap while we're doing this. Is there anything on else on offense that we need to talk about? Um, you got, you mean, got Johnny I, Wilson going at least. There's that. Yeah. He responded well. I'll give that. Yeah, I like that. I like to see him, you know, get get a good amount of targets. And, you know, he deserved it. Um, he's getting open. And, and it was good that he came down with the ball. Um, do you guys want to see more? Usage. Oh, you want more, 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 more marks? Well, if you're trying to run the ball, trying to be more effective with that, I feel like I this is your better option as an inline yeah. blocker among the group. I, you know, if you're not going to throw it to more lock down the field, I don't know. Really, the usage has just been weird. And it's somewhat because of the distribution of the ball to more lock that I find it to be weird. If you're struggling to run and you want to be better, better at running, I think Biscuit gives you a better uh, ceiling 
than Kyle does in that regard. Yeah. I don't think Kyle's awful at by any stretch. I just think Biscuit is better at it. Biscuit's more, 285 pounds. Like, yeah, he looks like an yeah. To be fair, Morlock was not very effective blocking on Saturday. Again, one game, but like he, there was a few. You can go ahead and watch the X's and O's game recap they did, and they'll, they'll show a few examples pretty early on that we're not great. So we're saying all these things on offense to where it just, I can't find the Keandre Jones stuff right now. It's fine. We know that they run the ball better when he's there. That That's that's fine. We don't have to prove that with stats. We can see it. Um, they got issues on offense. I, I think a lot of those can be resolved. I think what really bothered me as the game went on, guys, and this is going to transition to the defense as well, watching in the first half, like that was not a fun first half. That was alarming. BC controlled and dictated terms of the game, uh, something that Chris Nee's been fond of saying this weekend, and it is absolutely true. But like as I'm watching, like, okay, and re-watching especially, like you say, okay, if one guy does this a little bit better, that play works. If this guy does that a little bit better or doesn't do this, like on defense, that play doesn't happen. I think what ends up happening in the second half is you talk about that game pressure and pressing. Uh, it starts becoming two or three or four guys not doing things correctly on plays. And to me, that's that's where you start getting a little bit more alarmed when you're talking about like how, how mentally strong is this team? How does it deal with pressure? Um, it's been really good at responding to adversity when it's fallen behind. Um, but this has been a kind of a consistent thing, like with, with coach Norvell, like in his tenures, like when the team is a being a front runner, how do they handle that? And it hasn't always been particularly good. They're still learning how to do that, I think. Um, so let's transition to, to the defense, Chris, the, the first two drives, uh, especially the first drive, this has been a couple games now this season, small sample set, but teams have attacked your linebackers in the passing game with a lot of like misdirection rollout stuff. Uh, LSU did it, and then BC took a page out of that playbook and, and got you pretty early on. So let's start yeah. talking about the defense, first few possessions. FSU does a lot of matching with the way they cover things, and I think teams have figured out crossing the linebackers is kind of a way to get at them. FSU's linebackers are sort of what they are, and the vision coverage of that group is not particularly good, and teams have taken advantage of it. Um, you know, with BC, you have the quarterback who is a very capable runner, and you know that. You know what he is. You recruited him. You understand what he is. You have almost two games of film going into this game to kind of know how he fits into that BC offensive system, what they can do with him. And BC skill doesn't scare you. There, there's nobody among BC skill group that you go, man, that guy can beat me other than Thomas Castellanos. Well, FSU tried their best to allow Thomas Castellanos to beat him. And the biggest reason for that was extension of plays, the allowability of big runs, chunk plays. Chunk plays killed you and the inability to get off the field. They were not good on third down. They weren't good on money downs overall. And the crazy thing is they got them in a lot of bad situations and money downs, but they won them. So. FSU's uh, on that note FSU's early down success rate on defense was actually really good BC's EPA per play was like negative 0.14 which is which is awful uh it was the third and longs that 9.8 was the average on third and longs though you gave up like third and longs that turned into like a 50 yard gain yeah 52 yarder that kills you third and 15 backed up to their goal line where you just don't fill a hole and let a guy run free I mean it's just it was bad um you know, I personally, I don't know why Omar Graham's in on that third down. You've got three linebackers that you view as very capable veteran players. I don't know why Omar Graham's the guy you're relying on. And it's not solely on Omar Graham. Omar messed up on that play, but Patrick Payton did too. And there's a lot of combinations on plays where it wasn't one sole guy messing up. It was multiple guys. But, like, 
I don't have to have substitutions in my life constantly. Like I'm happy with a Tatum Bethune, DJ Lundy, or Kalen Deloach out there in that situation. Well, and I just I thought it was nuts. I my biggest issue with the defensive game plan attack way they went about it is you've gone and recruited really good defensive players. You feel very confident about the talent and depth of your defense for Florida State. And yet somehow you kind of allow Thomas Castellanos to do what he wants. You did not attack him. You did not go after him. You did not try to take him down to the ground. You kind of wanted to turn him into a passer and not let him run on you. And, well, you allowed him to do both. And that's what pissed me off and it still pisses me off. I, I think, like, you know, people get mad at what the defensive scheme was. And, like, standard downs, like, they called some really good plays, like, into predicting what BC was going to do. You won your early downs, but you have to find a way to get off the field. And that's something, like, Chris, like, this defense has typically been pretty good at under Adam Fuller. Like, you're usually good at third down. They've certainly been good these first two games situationally. The third game against BC, is that an anomaly or is that something to be more concerned with? I think like where we get into the – Zach's shaking his head. So go ahead, Zach. I, I think it's a scrambling quarterback situation. Well, that's – I, I don't think FSC's good against scrambling quarterbacks. I don't no, particularly Kev, love Kev how they attack the board. They're awful at stopping scrambling quarterbacks. Yeah. Like, and they've gone away with it. I mean, they beat Jaden Daniels twice, and he's one of the best in the country at it who's currently playing the game. So, like, does it work? Yeah, it works effectively enough. But they almost bit the other side of bullet on Saturday because – it's a little too bend, don't break, and they almost broke. To me, Chris put it perfectly. They tried to, to prevent Thomas Castellanos from, from throwing it deep down the field. What did he show you on film the first two weeks that made you think you had to do that? I don't understand that part of it. Like, they were running two high safeties uh, for for a good majority of that game which is something that we've seen them do consistently over the past two years. And a lot of that was because they didn't trust their corners and man coverage. Who like we were talking about Boston college, the skill players, like besides Ryan O'Keefe, like no one in that room scares you at all. Yeah. They're, they're not electric. Um, but somehow you made them look like an, an all American unit. Like you let two guys have career days at receiver. Yeah. Saturday. BC had what 457 yards of total offense. Um, And again, most of that came on third downs. When you pressured Castellanos once relatively early in the game, it led to the Lundy interception. When you pressured him late, you got a sack. Now, if if FSU went all out pressuring all game, Castellanos was going to run for a lot of yards because he is super athletic and he's going to break some. And when he gets an open field, he can run away from guys. He's athletic enough. But I, I don't think he can single-handedly beat you with his legs. It was weird to me that FSU almost allowed him to be a passer and then allowed him to constantly scramble to his right and take what he wanted and hit on it constantly. And a lot of the third and long and second and long situations were those type of situations. It just was kind of nuts to me. It's like, it felt again, like- beat a tougher team. You're really good. You're talented. You're a loaded roster. Go beat the hell out of the team you're supposed to beat the hell out of. And I understand football games can get more competitive than they should. But like FSU allowed BC to kind of be who they wanted to be and did not dictate terms. There's that term again. But it's true, and it's irritating to me. And I did not enjoy watching it in real time. That game had the capability of being a blowout at 31-10 and somehow sweating bullets at 31-29 at the end. So that that was the point I wanted to get to, Chris, because we're talking about dictating terms. And I think what FSU was trying to do on third down, which was honestly just a lot of zone defense where you're keeping, you're rushing four, you're trying to collapse the pocket, and then you're keeping your eyes on Castellano. Some people are calling for a quarterback spy. 
We saw them put a quarterback spy late on Castellanos, and he was able to roll outside and, and extend a play and hit a 20-yard. Who uh, would you spy with on this football team? Deloach, but, like, I don't – Deloach hasn't been – I, I like Kalen a ton. Kalen hasn't been particularly great at that. I point. think if you had your extra safety, you could put Shaheen Brown down there and, and do I that. I agree with You that. don't have that option right now. And ultimately, like, the spy stuff, this isn't Madden football. You can go out and run spy every play and see what happens. Like, I, I think that's, that's just not what we're t- – I'll digress there. I, I think what really concerned me, and this is where we talk about, again, identity and having having continuity and playing complementary football. Mike Norvell talked about this in the press conference. After FSU goes up 31 to 10, he's telling all the coaches, keep your edge. All right, tell the players to keep an edge and keep going and keep fighting and let's close this. I thought FSU's game plan was it's in most vanilla on defense during that stretch after they got up a little bit. They were legitimately allowing BC to run inside on third and short or fourth and short with two safeties still back. They were conceding that because they were going to try to just let them keep going slowly here, let the clock kind of play out and get them in third and long and then get off the field. And it didn't work. And again, that, that's a strategy that typically has worked for this, this defense, like being a top 25, top 30 unit last year. Like that was fine. And you're expecting to be better at it this year. And it, it bit you in the butt, but like you, you can't say keep your edge and be sharp and then play a more vanilla strategy. Yeah. Those two things are contradictory of each other and players are going to sense that pick up on it. And that's going to allow for that. So that's that's where my main criticism comes. I think that was maybe what was upsetting uh, with, with how the game played out. If you're talking about the defensive side of the ball was that stretch there. You went about two series where you just weren't very aggressive. uh, We're actually just very conservative and, and BC took it and allowed, like, it It took what was given. Uh, you didn't dictate terms, Chris. Intensity and focus. And it lacked throughout the entire game in a just lot of departments, good. but it was very apparent in those moments that it just wasn't there. FSU did not look like they ever flew around to the football defensively in that game. No, And it, I, get, I get Castellanos will cause pause. He's an elite foot athlete. But, come on, like, if that guy single-handedly beat to them, well, congrats to him. Have a Joe Hamilton kind of day. You know, you can't. I, that I just, is a reference, buddy. That is Joe a, Hamilton almost did it in Doke, if I recall correctly. Um, 92? Oh, no, I think a little bit later than that, but not long after that, yeah. Um, I'm old, man. You know this. Um, I just – it, it it irked me. I, I did – FSU felt flat-footed, did not feel like they were super intense. There was – portions of mush push and i asked was that game plan design the truth is no not really like they wanted their d lineman to get downhill and do more stuff i think some of that was guys playing a lot of reps and some guys not playing particularly well yeah and they did have the d line did have one reserve out in byron turner right yes yes that that makes sense that yeah i I think there was at least one interior guy that was under the weather so that limited his reps so you were a little short in there. And Josh Farmer didn't play a great game. Fabo didn't play a great game. You didn't get a whole lot of A games out there on the defensive side of the ball. No. And to Renardo, be- Renardo Green played well. Yep. Uh, I thought Jarian Jones played well, but didn't play a ton. He played 38 snaps. Yeah, Cypress um, played well outside of one drive, but he gave up yeah. a massive gain on that drive. So that dings him pretty good for today. Um, Shane Brown was fine. Like, yeah, I mean, there, w- there was not. Knowles was a big culprit. In that secondary, you got picked on. Let's talk about safety real quick um, because Kevin Knowles plays 64 snaps, I think second most on on the roster. Um, That's a guy who this coaching staff likes. They trust him. 
but he's also three games into playing a new position, one that he can get a lot of work at, frankly, in the preseason. They've alluded to, to this and him not being uh, available at times in camp. And, and Akeem Dent goes down last week. And so Kevin Knowles goes from a guy who you're probably expecting for the first four or five games of the season before the before the bye week to at least be like a situational guy, all of a sudden becomes an every down guy. And there were multiple missed tackles for him. Uh, one of the third down conversions is on him being way too deep. Uh, it's a play where BC's driving right to left, I think in the third quarter. And he just, it's a cover three concept and he's way too deep. And guy kind of works over the middle of the field and uh, gets a lot of yards after the catch. It goes 40 plus yard gain. That's just, the issue is FSU did not get a third safety in the transfer portal. I think we're going big picture on this, right? Uh, or maybe it's a little picture. Maybe it's minutia. Um, but FSU really wanted to get a third safety in the transfer portal. It didn't turn out that way. They actually ended up liking some of the freshmen they had coming in on the campus. But like Conrad Hesse got him for four games yesterday or Saturday. Four snaps. Four snaps. Four snaps. Sorry, he got him for four snaps on Saturday. And they basically benched him after he was lined up incorrectly in one of the plays. Like it's just, they don't have the inherent trust for a guy who's only been on campus for a couple of months. So um, what I'm saying is a lot of it falls on a guy who's never played the position before because you went into the season banking on one, having some injury luck uh, one and a half games into the season, Akeem Dent's dealing with a lower leg injury that that could be nagging. He could be back this week. We'll see, but you're already short on there. You forced a guy who's never played the position much into a bunch of snaps, and he did not play well, and they're going to have to bank on him playing well moving forward this week to Clemson. I think Kevin Knowles is still going to be a part of the game plan, but, like, it almost got you. It was almost a big reason why you almost lost on the road to BC. Um, he has to play better, but there's nothing you can do about that now, right? Like, that, the roster's the roster, so you're kind of just dealing with it, I guess. But that, that was an element that, to me, it's like we're talking about what can you fix, what can't you fix, See, the Kevin Knowles is going to play better. One of the freshmen is going to figure it out, and you're going to take the lumps with them as they're figuring it out, or it's going to get you. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. Um, yeah, the defensive personnel guys just like it, it. Again, I know a lot of them weren't playing well. Maybe it was a trap game, and then looking forward to Clemson. Maybe this all changes, and they come out playing with their hairs on fire on this upcoming Saturday. But, I do. I do think this uh, Saturday performance definitely gives the coaching staff plenty to drive home in practice. And I do hope we see that happening in practice. I mean, I, I think the team needs to be reminded that, yeah, you're talented, you're good, you're deep, you're fully capable of being as good as people like us like to write about you being capable of being. But like, here I go and do it. Like at the end of the day, it's, it's up to the 22 guys on the field, you know, 11 at a time to go and do it. And you can't have snafus on special teams like they had. You can't play like ass on defense like they did. And your offense can't look like it doesn't understand what it's capable of being like they did. You just can't do that. You know, you can get away with a phase being bad in a game. When all three phases decide to do it, you're lucky you walked away with a win. And you walked away with a win against a pretty bad football team. They played exceptionally bad for stretches of the game, and they still came out and won. Like, you don't win that game last year, probably. It was just the cluster of poor play. Well, BC made to do their best to make sure you won by getting 18 penalties. <laughs> Who would have thought we would have said BC was the undisciplined team and Florida State was the one that looked flat-footed? 
I have a deeper concern. Um, Chris, you're painting the picture of like, if you figure it out, if you get it cleaned up, and if you're the team you think you are, like this is a a teaching moment, right? And allows you as a coaching staff to really go after them this week. Uh, This is an interesting week of practice because I think if you want to let your brain go to the pessimistic side, which typically I don't, uh, so I'm going to say this is anxiety talking, uh, but I think there's an element, a layer of truth to this. It's like if you walked into this game thinking you were maybe bulletproof, thinking you were invincible, thinking that you could turn the light switch on and off when you wanted and when you really had to, to get up for a Clemson, for an LSU, for Miami later in the year, for Florida, whatever, you could. Um, I, I wonder what happens with the mindset now if you feel a little bit more vulnerable and how guys, especially newer guys into the program that haven't been part of the climb, that don't have the same level of you, know, you put in on this type of, type of mentality, uh, how they do now and how they step up and what kind of ownership they take in getting this, this righted. Um, felt like frustration was setting in among the starting quarterback, honestly, for two games now. Um, was willing to say that the first game was kind of a, a, a one-off, but no, this is two now. Uh, three three becomes a, a trend, so we're, we're aiming to that territory. Um, felt like there was frustration there. Felt like some of the continuity on defense wasn't what it needed to be, especially with the linebackers. That's becoming a trend. So, like, we'll see. I just – I have a fear that if this team doesn't respond well – I know that's what it's based off of, but, like, if it doesn't respond well this week against Clemson, like – with the expectations that you've you've had from the outside, um, do you start slipping a little bit? I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I'm just, that that is something I think that's on the table. This has been fun. Yeah, you guys disagree with? Do you disagree? No, with that? I, I, it's an important week for FSC. You're playing a team that's beat you seven straight times. You're playing the team that is the king of the conference that you're trying to become the king of. It's kind of put up or shut up time. You, you've been really good at times this year. Second half of LSU is one of those that's, you know, put it in the books. It was as good as it seemed. But you've also shown yourself to be very vulnerable and, you know, not necessarily made of championship medal. And, you know, you got to get there. You got to become that team. It doesn't happen overnight. Necessarily doesn't show itself every play, every quarter. But you got to be better than you were for, what, 59 offensive plays, 56 defensive plays that you were in Chestnut Hill because you weren't a very good football team at Chestnut Hill. And hopefully that film drives that point home, and guys who are capable of being much better players than they played like Saturday, come and be it, because that's what FSU's got to be to be what they want to be this year. Um, that's well said, Chris. I, I don't I don't know what else to, to really go on to anymore, like for this one. I mean, just Maybe it's a game you flush. Uh, maybe it's a game that is a turning point like it was in 2013. The difference is that team figured out in the game. This one, you really didn't, other than getting some stops late. Um, we will see. We will see what this team wants to be. We've seen what its upside can be, and that is capable of competing for a playoff spot, maybe then some. Uh, we got a chance to, to see what the basement might be today or this weekend, and that that is one of a team that can lose to anyone on the schedule. Um, so, yeah, going see, to gonna see what you're all about. This is a big week for Florida State. You're going to see what you can figure out. See what you're made of, I guess. Um, anything else, guys, before we get out of here? No. I think they do respond well this week. I, I do. I, I was told that the locker room felt like a loss. So, at least in the moment, it was understood that that wasn't a particularly good out effort by that football team. So, I do think that's a good sign. Now, we'll see if 
that translates to practice and translates to Saturday at noon in Clemson. What do we look for at practice this week? Like, what would you make you like? Kevin knows practice um, well last week. Fabian Lovett practiced well yeah, last week. Like, what yeah, are you looking for? I, I did find it funny the the diminishing of practice reports, which ha- have your little angsty moment there, message border. But uh, like, they didn't have a bad week of practice, so I did not expect them to walk in Chestnut Hill and play like they play. They played poorly on a singular day. They practiced much better than that. I think the key this week in practice is seeing how the coaches poke and prod and how they kind of try to drive home the point with certain guys that, you know, maximize who you are capable of being and go be it. I think another thing is also seeing in-house leadership, player leadership, what guys are being vocal, what guys are reminding them of that. You know, when, when drills are going and you're tired and hell, this is the 30th day of practice you've had this season, you know, who's going to make the point that what you do here translates to what you do on Saturday. I think that's the important thing to look for in practice. Oh, and cover Will Shipley because he's pretty good. That too. Okay, well, we'll be back later this week with some Clemson talk and kind of evaluating how this team responds. I think Chris and I are going up to Clemson is the plan, so we'll be there covering it too. Um, probably roll out Friday. So we'll do something on Thursday. Dane will do Know Thy Enemy with Trey's the plan. Trey's back in business this week. Uh, you can go check out the full game recap. Uh, that we had with our X's and O's guys on the X's and O's YouTube channel. It's also up on Moles247.com. If you want to read practice reports, we'll do them this week. If you want to be angsty and complain about it too, that's fine. They'll be there for you guys. All right. This has been a somewhat somber episode of On the Bench, but hopefully one that's been instructive. And I know we've been a little all over the place, but also um, there's a lot to get to for this game. And uh, we'll see how this team responds. For Chris Nee, for Zach Blostein, I'm Brendan Snow. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you guys later in the week. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.